not sure if you know about this or not, but the average person, the average person, now I know you're not average because you attend the Creek Church, but uh, you are obviously above average, but if you happen to be here and you consider yourself average, congratulations, or you're there in Williamsburg or Somerset or watching online, uh, but if you're average, just average, not above average, not below average, just average, if you're an average person, uh, experts say that you speak about 16,000 words a day. Think about that, 16,000 words a day. That's if you're average. So for all of you above average creakers, you're probably speaking 20, 25,000, 30,000 words a day. It's incredible. But 16,000 words, just for the average person, 16,000 words a day. Now, I'm not good at math, but I have a calculator on my phone. That's 112,000 words a week. 112,000 words a week. That means that if you took all the words that you spoke over the course of seven days, you could fill up two average sized books. Now think about that. Every single week you're speaking like two books worth of content. That's a lot of words. Now that could be either a good thing or a bad thing, but if you ask King Solomon, who was known as the wisest man to have ever lived, who wrote uh, a lot of Proverbs, statements of wisdom that you find in the Old Testament, uh, coincidentally enough called the book of Proverbs, uh, Solomon, who was known as the wisest guy to have ever lived, he talked about this, and you can jot it down and read it later, but in Proverbs chapter 10 at verse 19, Solomon said this, and this is a paraphrase, where there are a lot of words, there tends to be a lot of trouble. Where there are a lot of words, there tend to be a lot of sin and discourse and drama and trauma, unrest, a lack of peace. Now, if Solomon was right about, you know, where there's a lot of words, there tends to be drama and trauma and there tends to be unrest and there tends to be sin and there tends to be trouble. If Solomon knew what he was talking about, that might explain a lot of things. That might explain a lot of things going on in your life. It may explain a lot going on in your marriage. It may explain a lot going on what, you know, with your kids, what's going on at work, what's happening in our national politics, what's happening at the world at large. If wherever there are a lot of words being spoken, there tends to be a lot of trouble within those words, maybe we are beginning to understand why we experience so much trouble in our lives. Now, the same study which said the average person speaks 16,000 words a day also said that some people speak as much as 47,000 words a day. Men, how many of you think you're married to that woman? <laughs> Kidding, don't be so sensitive. In the same study, some folks spoke as little as 700 words. Ladies, how many of you are married to him? But what, uh, what you need to know is, just for the sake of disclosure, the, the persons who spoke as many as 47,000 words and as little as 700 words were, were men. And, and basically what we learned from that is men are just highly inconsistent, which every woman in the world already knew. <laughs> and women are incredibly consistent, day in and day out, and men already knew that. But, but that's kind of the lay of the land because words... Words are a big deal, they're a big part of our lives. Someone said that words are the most powerful force that all of humanity has access to. Now, think about words for a moment. When you speak words, they, they are never benign, they are never emotionally neutral. All the words that we speak, they carry meaning. That's the nature of linguistics and language. When we speak, there are meanings that are attached to those words and phrases. And not only that, but on a scientific level, whenever we speak, we speak 
energy. There's energy in that. There are molecules within the words that we speak. There are sound waves. There's so much going on. And basically what science has come around to and what science now understands is, is basically what I think Solomon was getting at, that our words are powerful and they affect people. And science today will tell you that our words have the ability to penetrate people because we are penetrating meaning into their minds and we are imparting energy into even their physical bodies. Now, th this is amazing, this is fascinating. This may not, you know, may not be of interest to you, but I think it should be because we should think about our words more and we should think about the power of our words more. But whenever you speak, now, the thing that about today's message and about this series is that this is applicable anywhere in life. This is applicable in marriage and parenting, at the workplace, you know, whatever it is you're doing and wherever it is that you're doing it, this is applicable because we're speaking words everywhere. Now, whenever we speak words, scientists have discovered that when we speak words, we are actually affecting one another on a biochemical level that we are affecting the release of chemicals and the amount of chemicals in our brain. We actually can enhance or we can disrupt actual patterns of thought within our physical brains. That's amazing, just by the words that we speak, that we can actually affect what is happening within our brains. And not only that, but scientists have discovered that words have the ability to impact us on a genetic level. And I don't understand all of this, and you can Google it later, but when we speak to one another, it actually can impact the expression of genes. That our words are so powerful, and the way that it affects us biochemically, it can actually begin to affect us genetically in the expression of some genes being expressed in one way and genes being expressed in another way. And so science and Solomon basically agree on the idea that words... Your words, my words, our words are highly consequential. And we all know that, we, we have common sense, right? We know that wars have been fought over words. Someone got a microphone, someone had a platform and someone started making some speeches and someone started saying some things and wars have been fought over words. <clears throat> relationships, relationships have ended because of words. Some of you know that to be true. Cultures have been shaped because of words. Minds have been changed about really important ideas because of words. Beliefs and behavior have been influenced and impacted because of the power of words. Now, every single one of us have experienced this probably on a positive note and also a negative note. And the reason that we all know this to be true is because it only takes a few moments to speak a few words, just a few seconds. But even though it takes only a few seconds to speak certain words, sometimes those words will never be forgotten by the people you spoke those words to. I guarantee if I gave you a couple moments, you can think back over your life to someone who said something hurtful and painful to you, and it only took them a few seconds to say it, but you have never, ever forgotten it because that's the power of words. And likewise, and we're gonna talk more about this next week, but some of you, hopefully most of you, hopefully all of you, have had someone say something so wonderful, so encouraging to you at some point in your life. It only took a few seconds for them to say those positive words, but you have yet to be able to forget those words because those are the power of words. Words can affect your mood, how you feel. Good mood, bad mood. It can affect your general well-being. It can affect the quality of your relationships between you know, husband and wife, between parent and children, 
between siblings, between friends, between workers and coworkers and neighbors and you know, so on and so forth. I mean, words are really powerful. They affect the atmosphere and the culture of our homes. Now think about this, that your words as a parent can shape the belief and the behavior of your children. That's how powerful your words are as a mom or as a dad. Your words, your words can change the minds of people that you care about and love about really important things because that's the power of your words. And so the big idea is words are important, choose them wisely. Because when you speak words, you move people's hearts. And when you move people's hearts, you begin to move people in a particular direction. Now, Solomon, who said where there's a lot of words, there tends to be a lot of trouble, he also said this about words. You've probably heard this before, Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He said, now, let me tell you how important words are. They are a matter of life and death. And he says, you all have experienced this, you know this, that some people, whenever they speak, whenever they open their mouth, more times than not, it's like they're just spraying a little bit of death. They walk around, it's just like death. These are the people that you see at the grocery store and they're down there at the other end of the aisle. And you need like seven things on that aisle. But not even Jesus, the good shepherd, could lead you down that aisle. Because you know that as soon as you get around them, it doesn't matter whether it comes in form of prayer requests, whether it comes in the form of let me tell you about my day, it is as though they are just oozing death, oozing death. And you're sitting there and it's toxic and you feel as though they've opened up a big jar of leeches and they have placed them on your chest and you are losing life itself. You know those people. Matter of fact, there is a name and a face right now in most of your minds. Now here's what I wanna to say to you who are thinking about someone else. Stop thinking about someone else because this is not about someone else, this is about you. And when all those people laugh just now, I guarantee you probably one person was thinking about you. When they think about you, they think about death. Oh, let me tell you, no, they don't think about that one. They think about death, right? And when you give away life, it's always by accident. You didn't mean to do it, right? But then there's some people, there's some folks, when we get around them, and it's not even as though they're trying, they're probably not even consciously thinking about it, but maybe they are. But they've got a way. It's the way they speak, it's how they speak, it, it's the words and the phrases but when they speak, it's like life. It's like life is just getting on you and things get a little bit lighter and you kind of felt heavy about life and you got lots of problems and you screwed up a lot just like everybody else has, but you get around those people and it's like they just, they just throw life at you and you get life on you and all of a sudden, these are people that you just, can't, you just can't speak to them enough. I mean, you see them at the grocery aisle, you are running them down. And you're trying to make up a reason to talk to them because they're gonna make you feel better. They're gonna encourage you. They are going to give you life. And here's what Solomon says. The words in your mouth are your choice. They are your decision and the stakes are high. You can either choose to speak death or you can choose to speak life. And no one can make that decision. No one can make that choice other than you. Now, can you imagine if we really bought into this? Can you imagine if we really believed that the power of life and death was actually in our words? 
Moms and dads, can you imagine how the culture and the atmosphere of our homes would be different? Can you imagine perhaps how our children would think differently, believe differently, behave differently if moms and dads were speaking life, imparting life, that it wasn't death, but then the culture of the home is one of life. Husbands who are speaking life to their wife and wives who are speaking life to their husbands. Can you imagine how it would be different if you had a boss who would walk to your office and actually spray some life in there, but the only time you see that sucker coming is when he's got a big bottle of death and he comes in there and he just sprays up the room and then you go home and you've still got a can of death because you borrowed it from your boss and you come home and you're telling everybody at home how great work was and all of a sudden everybody in the house is just, they're just dying. How many of y'all have ever attended a church before where the sermon was basically? <laughs> Me too. We don't like that. We don't appreciate that. We don't respond well to that as individuals. But yet, even though we know this, even though we crave life, so many of us have opted to walk around and we give far more death away than we give life away. And that is a big deal because we all have the power. Think about this. You have the power to build up to build someone up, or you can tear them down with your words. You can hurt someone, or with your words, you can heal someone. You can attract people, you can repel people, right? You can strengthen people, or you can weaken people. This is what Solomon's saying. You give death or you give life. You bless, you curse. You can move people forward, or you can hold people back. This is, this is revolutionary. It's so elementary, it's so simplistic, but it's so profound. And this is Solomon, king of Israel, son of David, who said, listen, I've observed that the way we speak either brings a culture of life or a culture of death. And that every person should make a decision. You don't even have to be a Christian to try this. You should make the decision to be a carrier of life to speak life to the people in your life. And let me tell you what will happen. You will become the most popular gig in town. Your house will be the funnest place to be. Your table will be the table that people wanna sit at. You'll have more friends than you know what to do with. All because when you just get with people, you give life away. You give life away. And that's what we're gonna talk about because words are so very important, life and death. That's what's at stake. And so here's the big idea. Words are a stewardship. They're powerful and we are accountable. Words are a stewardship. You, you have to manage your words. You get the opportunity to do and spend your words, invest your words, give away your words in whatever way that you want to. No one, listen to me, some of you, you came to church today to hear these words. No one can make you say anything. No one. The most irritating person in your life cannot make you say it. You have to choose to say what you say. Or you react and say what you say without even thinking about it, which is what many of us do. Words are a stewardship. They are powerful and we are accountable. 
Here's what Jesus said, and I know you don't want to think about this, and I don't want to think about this. This, isn't, this is quite horrifying and terrifying, but Jesus said, someday, one day, in some way, we are all going to be held accountable for our words. Well, that was a buzzkill right there, written it? I mean, we were, we were headed in the right direction. People are feeling good. It's like, pa- pastor, smelling a lot like death right now. You just, you just mess things up. No, th- this is life-giving. Because when we understand that words are a stewardship, they're powerful, we are accountable. Jesus said one day, someday, some way, we are all gonna be held accountable for the words that we have spoken. Now, that's a big deal, that, that feels important. And let me tell you who knows this idea and this principle more than anybody, it's parents. Parents are really sensitive to this, especially parents of young children. Parents, you know, who have young children, you know, we have an eight and a five-year-old. Some of you, you know, you have the same age children. Some of your children's grown and gone, and you are so glad about it. Uh, Some of you, some of you wish you could get rid of your children, but you haven't yet. But here we are as parents, and we are very, very interested in how our kids use words and phrases, just like every parent is. And because we care deeply about how our kids use words and phrases, we pay very close attention to how our kids use words and phrases. Now, here's what I think all parents try to do. And I tried to put some some language to it and to try to help us all get to the same place uh, where we need to get to. Here's what I think parents try to do. Parents try to connect the correlation between certain words and phrases to certain events, certain circumstances, certain situations. Parents want to connect certain words and phrases to certain situations and certain events and certain situa- you know, circumstances. We, we wanna connect the correlation between those two realities. And, and here's what I'm talking about. You're, you're sitting at the dinner table, it's the four of you. You, know, you got your eight-year-old son, your five-year-old son, and you're having dinner and you're trying to do it because everybody talks about you know, it's important to eat together and all of that and you love eating together. And, and then when you're trying to get it all right and you're also trying to teach your kids good manners and trying to teach them how to sit at a table because you know, occasionally you have to take them to public tables and the best place to learn how to be at public tables is at the private table. Some of you need to know that. And, and, and so you, you teach them at the private table how they're supposed to act at the public table. But while you're sitting there with your family, all of a sudden your five-year-old, it wasn't on purpose as it can be sometimes, but unintentionally, because you're eating a little bit of spicy Italian, a little bit of you know, beef, you know, bolognese, and there's a little too much red pepper. Now all of a sudden he just burps the dinner table. And what do the parents do? They look at them. Because there's some nonverbal communication going on right now. We're saying, son of mine, I want you to think and connect a certain word or phrase to this certain event which just happened. And so you look at your child and you want your child to say, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Right, that's what parents do. Or if your kids, you know, are in the cereal aisle at the grocery store and they're trying to get to that one cereal brand which doesn't give people cancer, and, 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 and as, they, as they're reaching for it, they, they bump into someone unintentionally and, and you look at them and you're like, shepherd. And you're trying to connect a certain word or phrase to this certain circumstance which just happened and you want him to say, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, pardon me, I, I didn't see you, right? If you see someone carrying something, your mom's carrying bags in the door. Connect a phrase to that event. Oh, mom, can I help you? Well, some of you would just fall over dead. You'd be like, what? Who are you and what have you done? 
This is what we do. But here's where, here's where really skilled parenting kicks in because we've been doing this. This is probably embedded into our genetic code at this point. When a certain event happens and that certain phrase does not verbalize itself within the appropriate amount of time, there is a question. There is a question that every parent intuitively knows to ask in this moment. And you already know what it is. Your parents said it to you, their parents said it to them before. And now you are saying it to your children. You look at them and you say, what do you say? What do you say? Someone gives your kid a gift. You look at your kid, you're horrified. Your blood pressure's elevating. You're given the look, they don't get the look. So you look at them and in an embarrassed way, but a confident tone. What do you say? As to say, after they leave, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right? What do you say? Oh, thank you. So this is basically the idea of this series is to say, what should we say? Now we've all grown up a little bit. We're not children, we're middle school, we're high school, right? We're, we're young, but, and then college, and we're adults, many of us. What should we say? What, what are phrases we need to say when we are in the midst of a certain set of circumstances or a particular situation. And that's what we're gonna talk about for the next few weeks. We're gonna talk about phrases and words that we should connect to certain circumstances and situations in our life. And these phrases, these words, they are life-giving. They will give you life. And they will give those who hear your words life. Now, I'm just telling you, the reason I'm doing this series is not because I'm good at it. It's not because I'm qualified. It is not because I'm an expert. My wife is on the front row. You could ask her, I prefer you not. <laughs> but here's something we can all work on. This is something we can all learn. This is something that we can all grow in. Th this series is all about learning to speak phrases of life. And today I'm just gonna tell you in, in just a few moments and it's just gonna be a few minutes worth, but today we're gonna talk about words that are not fun. We're gonna talk about phrases that are not fun. They're, they're not, but they're necessary. They're not necessarily fun, but they're, they're necessary. And I'm telling you, these words, these phrases, they're, they're a bit humiliating and they're uncomfortable and scary and it makes us feel vulnerable and a little bit weak and we feel a bit inadequate to say these. These words are not sexy, I'm just gonna tell you. Nobody's gonna stand up and applaud. No, nobody's gonna stand up and you know, rejoice and praise the Lord and it's not gonna be that. But I'll promise, these words will make our life better. And these words will bring life into our life. I call them, or I guess we all should call them, words of responsibility. See, I told you. <laughs> words of responsibility, they, they kind of go like this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> you already know that's so not fun. That is not enjoyable. If you consider yourself an intelligent person, you don't get sorry much because you're typically right. Or at least you think you are. These words aren't fun. I'm sorry. Let's all just say that together. All of our campuses, ready, set, go. I'm sorry. Okay, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna do that one more time. Spouses, get out your phone and prepare to record your spouse saying words you never thought they would ever say, right? I'm sorry. Th these are words of responsibility. I'm sorry. I apologize. 
apologize. And these, this is just not token words or things you just, I mean it, I apologize. I'm sorry, I apologize. I was, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. We don't like that. But you know what that is? That's a phrase of responsibility. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have acted that way. I shouldn't have. It was my, it was my job, but I, I failed to do it. I just failed to do it. I failed to do it. You're right. Now, let me just say this. If you're married, you know that saying I was wrong is much better alternative than saying you're right. <laughs> Can somebody else be right? Do you have to be? God is right. Let's both be wrong. And then she looks at you. We're not both wrong. Okay. I was wrong. You're right. right? You're right. Those are hard words. How about this? I have a problem. I have a problem. I have a problem. What kind of problem? I've been drinking too much. I have a problem. I've been abusing my prescriptions. It didn't start that way, but I, I think I have a problem. I have a problem. I dropped the ball. Forgive me. Words of responsibility. The, the reason that words of responsibility are so important for all of us is because failure is inevitable. Failure is inevitable. For you, for me, we all fail. Now, should we live lives where we try not to fail? I think so, absolutely. But know that even though we try not to fail, guess what, we're human and we are still going to fail. I think it's even more important than trying to live not to fail, though I think we should, is learning that when we do fail, we understand how to deal with it. We understand how to move forward. Solomon, again, this wise guy in the book of Proverbs says that a good man, a good woman, they will fall down seven times, but they get back up. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said this, it is the glory of a person. Not that they do not fall down, but they fall down and they get back up every single time. See, faith is not about falling down. Someone told you that once upon a time and that's the reason you thought faith wasn't for you. You thought the church wasn't for you. And you consider because you fall down habitually, you fail you know, habitually that, that faith, you're not good at it and it's just not for you. But, but faith is about people who fall down. But yet we learn how to get back up and go at it again. Now, this whole thing of responsibility, we have a natural resistance to it. We have a natural resistance to taking responsibility. We have had a natural resistance to taking responsibility since the Garden of Eden, right? Remember the Garden of Eden? The story where God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and, and basically God said, okay, look at the world. Look at this world. You can eat from any tree that you want. All the trees of the world are yours. You can read about this in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament. He says, all the trees of the world are yours except for this one tree. And I do not want you to eat the fruit of that tree. And Adam and Eve, just like me and just like you, instead of focusing on all that they could have, 
Instead of focusing on all the things God said, hey, these things exist for you and for your pleasure. The one thing they could not stop thinking about was what? The one thing God told them they could not have. And so what happened? They ended up eating the forbidden fruit of the forbidden tree. And then when God came along to say, okay, what's going on here? God knew what was going on, but he was asking the question so that Adam and Eve could have an opportunity to take responsibility, right? He gave them an opportunity to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God. God, I, I was wrong, I was wrong, you're right, we should have done this. He gave them an opportunity to have responsibility. And so he asked Adam, right? He asked Adam about all this. He said, Adam, what's, what's happening? What's going on? What did Adam do? He did what men has loved to do ever since, blame it on their wife. God, you can read about this, it's absolutely hilarious. And it's genius. It's genius that the author of Genesis so captured the story of humanity in the way that things really are, right there in this story. Says Adam, said God, it was the woman you gave me. And so in one sentence, Adam manages to blame his wife and to blame God. Adam was essentially saying, woman? I didn't ask for a woman. I didn't even know what a woman was. Now that I do, I'm not sure if I needed one to begin with. Look at all this mess she and you got us into. Adam was saying, I'm, I'm not to blame. It's not my fault. I was doing okay until you and her got involved. And then, you know, God looks at Eve and Eve, now that you've picked yourself up and dusted yourself off from the bus that your husband just threw you under, what do you say? And then she looks over here at the serpent, the tempter, looks at Satan and says, it was him. The devil made me do it. Right? We've heard that one since we were children. The devil made me do it. Neither one of them wanted to take responsibility. And you know what? We've been doing the blame game ever since. We've been blaming other people. We've been blaming something else ever since. And we have had a natural resistance to words like this. And what we need to understand about words of responsibility is this, that the best version of our life is found in taking responsibility for our life. That the greatest version, the best version of your life and the best version of my life is found in taking responsibility for our life. And story after story throughout the scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, there is a principle. There is a principle that we find over and over again, and it's this right here. The making of greatness begins with the taking of responsibility. The making of greatness begins with the taking of responsibility. That if you want to be great, if you want to be a great husband, if you want to be a great wife, if you want to be a great man, a great woman, a great mom, a great dad, a great son, a great daughter, a great friend, that the making of greatness begins with the taking of responsibility. Because the taking of responsibility 
is so important because at the heart of all of our existence is a thing called failure and we all fail and we all fall short and we all have to deal with the things that we shouldn't have said, shouldn't have done. That's a part of your story and part of my story. But when you read about the heroes of the faith, both men and women, you're gonna find out that the making of greatness begins with the taking of responsibility. Something else that we learn when we read through the scriptures. We understand that you can make excuses or you can take responsibility, but you can't do both. You can make excuses to, this is why I did it. You can blame, you can make excuses, but you can't do both. You can't take responsibility and continue to blame and continue to make excuses, it's just impossible to do. You can't blame it on him, you can't blame it on her, you can't blame it on, well, this was the way it was in my family. If it wasn't for this, I wouldn't have done that. We see this all throughout the scriptures. We see this throughout all the stories of scripture. Wherever there's irresponsibility, we can either blame, we can either make excuses, or we can take responsibility, but we cannot do both. We cannot. Now, we wish we could, but we can't. And so my question to you, my question for me is this. Do you want to be great? I think you do. You want to be a great man, a great woman, a great father, a great mother? Do you want to be a, a great husband, a great wife? Then learn to acquaint yourself with words of responsibility. When you mess up, say, I'm sorry. When you said something you shouldn't have said, say, I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. Will you forgive me? When you're arguing with someone and you have one of those cathartic revelations halfway through the argument that many of you have had, I know you have, that you've realized halfway through your argument that they're actually right and you're wrong, but you cannot at that point give up the argument. Just go ahead and stop and say, you know what? I think you're right. I think you're right and I'm wrong. You're right and I'm wrong. Learn words of responsibility and embrace them. Can we put those words of responsibility back up there for just a moment? Learn these words. Embrace these words. Make sure I'm sorry is a normal part of your repertoire. Make sure it is. I apologize. Use it frequently. Parents, let your children hear this and see this. They should hear you saying, I'm sorry and I apologize all the time. They will be able to say, I'm sorry and I apologize easier if they hear you, mom or dad, husband, wife, saying it consistently and saying it with meaning. I was wrong. You are many times. I am many times. So just go ahead. When you are, say it. I was wrong. My attitude was wrong. My disposition was wrong, my reaction was wrong, my mood was wrong. I was wrong, I'm sorry. I failed, I failed to do it. I, I know you asked me to, I failed to do it, I failed to do it. Your boss comes to your office and says, hey, you know, did, what about, 
Instead of saying, well, you know, it's been this, and I'll tell you, the other night, and then I'm a kid, and, you know, my wife, and, you know, and, you know, well, there was the whole politic thing, and, you know, there's Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump. I mean, it's really, he's to blame for the reason I didn't do this. And, and, or, or, you know, it's the Democrat Congress. I just can't get it out of my head. And, you know, all the things that people are just blaming, all of their behavior, you just say, hey, I failed, I failed to do it. And I know it's on my job description. I failed to do it. I failed to do it. And as we wrap things up, as, as we bring it to the close, some of these are harder than others. Some of these are harder than others. And this takes work. And it takes us understanding that the power of life and death is found in our words. And whenever you speak words and phrases of responsibility, You speak life. It feels negative to say, I was wrong, please forgive me. Feels humiliating, feels self-defeating, but it's actually words of life. And those words get on you, and those words get on to the people that you're speaking to. When you hold back those words, even the lack of those words are spreading death. And if you want life in your home, if you want life in your marriage, find a way to embrace words of responsibility because the best version of our life is when we take responsibility for our life. And for some of you, that's what you need to do. You're hard to live with. Your mood is inconsistent. Your reactions are way over the top. And you just need to stop blaming and stop making excuses for why you've been the way you've been. And you just need to say, I'm sorry. I apologize. I shouldn't have been this way. Some of you, not all of you, but perhaps some of you, you've got a problem. It's a problem with what you've been looking at. It's a problem with what you've been taking. It's a problem that you've been drinking too much. It's a problem. And it's hard to say, I've got a problem. It's difficult to say, I've got a problem. I need help. But that's responsibility. And honesty precedes healing. I have a problem. Help me. These words are difficult and they're hard. They feel like death. They're hard to speak, but when we say them, they are life. Words are consequential. Words are highly consequential. Choose them wisely. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, that we would just take a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak to us, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to take the words of Scripture, to take the words of truth that we have been talking about, and that you would take those words and you would deposit those words deep in our heart, and that we would just not hear them, but we would begin to apply them and actually live them out. I pray, Father, that we would understand that our words have life and death power 
and that we would embrace the stewardship of our words, that we would live with the understanding that one day, someday, we're gonna be accountable for our words. So may we use our words with wisdom and may we be carriers of life and not death. May we learn how to say, I'm sorry. May we learn how to say, forgive me. I was wrong, you were right. May we begin to connect those phrases to certain situations and circumstances in our life so that we will speak life into the life of those around us and into our own. In Jesus' name.